Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work, and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This is the identity crisis season, so go to the park, watch the sunset, go bird watching, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, we are chatting once again with Kimberly White, who we had back in our Caring Well season. She's back to talk about identity from her position as um, a therapist, as well as a professor, and um, also just as a child of God and someone who wrestles too. So we are so pumped for today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome back, Kim. It is so good to see you. This is our first recording in person, social distance, masks, all those things. (laughs) But last time we chatted with you was on Zoom. So welcome. We are so thankful to have you here again. Yeah, and I think actually last time we chatted on Zoom, it was one of the first ones that you guys were doing over Zoom and you were trying to figure out all of those pieces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was like... Wow, you're right. That's so funny. A lot of learning. Feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I'm just a guinea pig. You just use yes. anything well, we, out on me. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. We know that Kim is flexible, so we'll just uh, take advantage of it maybe a little bit. Yeah. Well, to start off, so people kind of know, people can listen back to episode, uh, I don't know the number offhand, but we did an episode with you already. But we have some... <laughs> fun facts. So I'm just going to ask you questions and uh, you can answer them. Um, So where did you grow up? I grew up in Ossining, New York. How many years have you been married? It'll be five years in two weeks. That's insane. Wow. So I guess we're still in that honeymoon phase. I don't know when you like get out of it, but five years. Wow. Yeah. Happy early anniversary. Thank you. If you had a free day, what would you do? A free day, I would, if it was a free day where I could do anything, mm-hmm. it would be go to the beach. Oh, yes. And I'm a little bit picky about my beaches because I grew up in New York. And so we had ocean, not lake. Um, <laughs> so ideally, it would be a beach where I could smell the salt in the air. But I will take a great lake because it's a long drive to a salt beach at this point, <laughs> yes. an ocean. Now, are you a beach, like, what do you do at the beach? Do you sit and enjoy, like, the sun, or do you, like, swim or both? I definitely only swim when I'm overheating from enjoying the sun. Mm. Like, I get me a lawn chair and a book and just sit there and watch the waves come in and read the book and take a nap and then go in the water and cool off and then do it all over again i'm there with you yeah including spf 100 (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes. um what's your biggest pet peeve yeah i don't know i mean i really you know what my biggest pet peeve is the amount of times canadians say sorry (laughs) Mm. honestly like it's things that And it happens in my marriage a lot where it's like, oh, I need to empty the dishwasher. And Carter's like, oh, sorry, I didn't do that. And I'm like, I'm not upset at you. I didn't expect you to. And like, (laughs) I just realized people will say sorry for things that I'm not, they don't need to apologize for. Oh, I'm running a few minutes late. And I'm like, oh, I'm running a few minutes late. And they're like, oh, sorry, you're rushed. No, like that's on me. Mm. You know, it's it's not on you. And so I think it really just annoys me at times. I'm like, you don't need to apologize. (laughs) 
there's, you didn't do anything wrong. And the amount of times mm-hmm. I'll say that to people, no, there's nothing to apologize for. Like you didn't do anything wrong. This isn't some, and yeah, I really, it, I struggle with that when people just say sorry for things and I'm like, no, you have no need to feel sorry. Like don't take that on yourself. Mm. On behalf of all Canadians, we're sorry. I feel like that stereotype <laughs> no, is now I confirmed. Help it. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, maybe New Yorkers mm. are just not empathetic, compassionate people. And so we're like, yeah, like that's on you. You didn't empty mm. the dishwasher. Well, that's you your fault. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good to know. Um, Okay, what's your favorite activity? My favorite activity? Um, I really like to, I do like to read books. I really enjoy reading stories and novels, um, laying outside and watching them. I also, I've picked up bird watching this summer. Wow. That's such a COVID activity. (laughs) I love it. They're so fascinating and just figuring out like the different sounds and so now whenever I see a bird I'm like oh what kind of bird is it maybe it's because I grew up in an urban area and we didn't have a ton of birds like oh there's There's a pigeon (laughs) there's a pigeon (laughs) there's a crow Mm. right and so now I'm like oh look there's a blue jay outside or oh the other week I found like an oriole and I was like this is so cool and so I try to figure out ways to like attract them and Though not too many, because we have these sharp shin hawks near our house, which eat small birds. Oh. So I'm like, I am not going to be your feeding ground, buddy. Like, no. you need to find your own place. So I don't... But yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Mm. But I really like those things that are like slow, mm. low pace, like just easygoing. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm. Are you a morning person or night person? It really depends on the day. I mean, when it comes to thinking about things, I'm not going to want to do too much hard work in the middle of the at night. But then I also in the morning am sometimes like I just want to lay in bed and not get up at the crack of dawn. Um, but I do really enjoy mornings, like when I get up in the morning and I have a coffee. Um, but yeah, it depends on the day. But I try not to plan for both. Mm. So I won't, if I have late things, I'll give myself the morning to relax. And if I have early morning things, I give myself the evenings to relax. Mm. Nice. Yeah. But I, as a youth pastor's wife, I feel like you have to be an evening person because everything yep. just happens at night. Yeah. As youth workers, we can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> can confirm. Um, when we can travel, where would you like to travel to next? I mean, obviously, I want to go to New York and see family because mm-hmm. it's almost been two years. Wow. Um, but if I could go anywhere, I would probably want to go to Italy because <gasps> my brother-in-law lives there right now. And I would love oh. to go see him. And I love Italy. I've been there once. It was for two weeks. And I just really enjoyed it. Um, and he lives, like, close to the, the border. So once you're in Europe, you can just hop on a train and go anywhere. Yeah, crazy. So, Yeah. Europe. Get me to Italy to see my brother-in-law and then I will travel through it. Oh, that sounds like a dream. (laughs) Someday. Um, What is your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Um, That is a really good question. I really like, you know what book I really love? I love Life Together by Bonhoeffer. Mm. Such a good book. So small, but like, oh my goodness, the best book ever. Um, which is very theologian sounding of me, which 
Don't let that trick you. But yeah, <laughs> Life Together by Bonhoeffer is a really good book that I recommend to people all the time. Mm. For a non-Christian book, The Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill mm. would be a book that, um, and it's probably just because it really opened my eyes to some really important things that I think were needed. Um, and I really appreciate the value of names in it, which mm. I think connects with that identity piece of, yeah, your names and that significance. Mm. If you weren't working as a counselor and professor, what would you be doing? Sometimes I think I would love to be a nurse, mm. but then I'm like, oh, I would have to deal with catheters. But <laughs> um, but I guess that's also a helping profession. But yeah, I think that the busyness of like just the go, go, go mentality. Maybe I've watched too much New Amsterdam on TV. I love New Amsterdam. <laughs> but yeah, that's like sometimes I'm like, man, if I wasn't mm. a therapist and a professor, like I think I might want to work in a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Sweet. Well, that pretty much answers, I mean, like, that's all that we need to know about you. But in case it isn't, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about who you are. You know, I think, I mean, that's pretty much, it sums me up as a person. <laughs> um, but yeah, I am a native New Yorker uh, who is now living in Ontario. Um, and and I really, um, I really care about people. Um, and I really am passionate about following Jesus and I am a hundred percent sure I mess that up on the daily. Um, cause I'm like, what am I doing? I ask myself that all the time. Uh, what am I doing? Like, how did I get myself into this? All those questions go through my mind all the time, but really deep in my core, this desire to love people, to see them find, like find God, find their purpose, um, and, and really, yeah, engage in, in serving others and, um, which is a really great thing, but it's actually also a really dangerous thing because, um, yeah, I have a tendency to place the needs of others before myself, uh, which falls into like a perfectionist and people pleasing tendency. Um, and all of those pieces, are a part of who I am and are things that I wrestle with of this question of, you know, why am I doing this? Did I really want to do this? Um, I agreed to do this because I knew it would make this person happy, mm. but now I'm frustrated and I'm annoyed and that's not their fault. That's my fault because I said yes. And so I need to own it. Um, yeah, but really this I live out this way of wanting to know what God's up to and not missing out. I want to know what you're doing, God. And if this is a part of what you're doing, like I want in it. Um, my therapist once referred to it as um, like religious FOMO, like the fear of missing out on what God's mm. going to do. And mm. so you'll find me, I'll find myself in spaces where I'm like, why am I doing this? And really it comes back to this place of, I wondered if God was here and if God was here and this is what God was saying to do, then I didn't want to miss out, even if it's really difficult and hard. Um, and so those are pieces that I wrestle with and I try to navigate and I'm like, God, what parts of these are like, yeah, you're calling me into the tough moments and what parts of this are me just like walking into these crazy things because I'm like, maybe God's there and God's like, <laughs> like I'm everywhere, but you don't have to go through all of this. You know, you don't have to be a contortionist on my behalf. Um, but yeah, this, I feel like 
I am summed up by this little girl. I feel like a little girl all the time. Like, I don't know if in our minds we ever grow up and become old ladies, Mm. but just this little girl who's on this adventure trying to find where Jesus is and invite others along. And it's messy and it's sometimes overwhelming and I don't get it right all the time. I don't get it right a lot, but, um, but yeah, I just really don't want to miss out on what God's doing. And so it throws me into these crazy things that sometimes I'm like, what did I get myself into? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hmm. And I'm guessing as youth workers, you feel that as well. Yes. From time to time. (laughs) You're seeing that like, wow, yep, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Religious Hmm. FOMO. That's a new one. I I know. When she said that, I was like, wow, yeah, you get me. That's exactly (laughs) what it is. Fear of missing out on what God is Hmm. doing. Hmm. And so you find yourself in these like odd, crazy, chaotic overwhelming spots and you're like okay god Mm. but if this is what you're calling me to do like it's all worth it because if i get to see you show up then yeah that's amazing and Mm. all of this will make sense i feel like this is almost like a good intro to what we're talking Mm -hmm. about a little bit because we're talking about identity on this little season of the podcast so we're excited to have you come in and talk about that so we want to start just going back to the basics and hear your thoughts on this. Can you just briefly talk about the psychology of identity and the truth of scripture, two things you're passionate about? Yeah. When I think of the psychology of identity, truly what comes to mind is social psychology. Um, And social psychology is how we interact with others. And And it's just crazy. Like if you've never studied any of the social psychology pieces, you're really missing out. Anytime I teach on it, I'm teaching on it this fall, mini little shout out. Um, (laughs) I'm just amazed at some of these things and, and some of the things that like pieces that are so important are there's this, there's this, um, self-fulfilling prophecy as a part of social psychology. And it's the sense of what we believe about ourselves is actually then what we're going to walk out. And then in, in contrast, or kind of addition to that, not contrast, is behavioral confirmation. And it's almost this thought of what others believe about us is what we're going to walk out. So in behavioral confirmation, if a teacher is teaching a class and there's a student in that class that she doesn't really like or that he doesn't really like and belie- and believes that that student won't do well, the likelihood of that student excelling or doing well is not likely because mm-hmm. the teacher doesn't believe they will do well. And so it's this behavioral confirmation of what I believe or perceive for you is actually what you're most likely going to fulfill because it's what I'm kind of speaking over you, basically. Um, and then self-fulfilling prophecy is then what we believe about ourselves is most likely what we're going to achieve mm-hmm. because we're going to live that out. Um, and so, and again, even something like confirmation bias, which is another part of social psychology is this, that we have these biases in our minds and we're going to look until we can confirm it. Right. Which in research is really unhealthy. Like if you're researching a topic and you want a to be the answer, you're going to sometimes look for a, Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes look for a, which is why you need peer reviews and all those things. But even for ourselves, 
Um, and you'll see this. You'll see this in people who you think the world of and you think they're really amazing people. And then they make one mistake and they're like, oh, I knew it. I'm a failure. I make mistakes. And you're like, whoa, look at these like 50 great things you've done and this one thing. But what it is is this confirmation bias of there's a piece of them that believes their identity is a mistake or they make mistakes and they zone in on that. And that's what, because it confirms the bias that they hold, that's what they look for. They don't look for everything else, right? And so all of these social psychology things help us realize, uh, help me understand that there are social pieces to how we form our sense of identity. The people mm. that are around us are going to influence how we perceive ourselves. And so when you have a really healthy community, that's amazing, when you have people who speak life into you, phenomenal. But when you're surrounded by people who put you down or when there's negative, um, you know, even I think of culture pieces, when there's negative biases about your culture, about who you are as a community, it's so hard to rise above that mm. because the social psychology pieces tell us that we're going to adapt to what people expect of us. And then we're going to believe that about ourselves. And so all of these pieces of, of psychology, they really say we need to then ask ourselves, like, where do these beliefs come from or what beliefs were spoken over us or what beliefs do we have about ourselves? Because we're most likely going to live those out. And, and then when you look at the scriptures, I mean, scriptural truth tells us that, you know, God created us, that we were created in the image of God, um, that, that before we were even, you know, even took our first breath, that God had a purpose for our lives, that he knit us together, right? Which if we're living out those truths, then, and if we know those truths deeply, then those are things that are going to form our understanding of who we are. And we're going to find that we're going to have a healthier sense of self, um, as we as we interact with people. But I mean, the scripture, the truth of scripture, and we'll probably talk about this more of the importance of knowing those um, is so critical because if our community, if the voices around us, even in unintentionally um, are speaking other things over us, then then those are the things we're going to adapt, whether that's going to be a behavioral confirmation, a self-fulfilling prophecy, a confirmation bias, all of these pieces contribute to how we live out our lives and who we believe ourselves to be. Um, and then the scriptures are clear, like you are a child of God, you are created in the image of God. Um, and, and so knowing those was important and yeah. And so I think those all working together, um, and then also giving space to acknowledge that there are things in the scripture that are sometimes hard to wrestle with. Um, you guys, like in, in this moment, you find me in this, I feel like Jacob wrestling with God. Um, and, and I, and I'm kind of where Jacob is and I'm like, okay, I'm not giving up until you bless me, which probably goes with that religious FOMO. Like if I'm fighting this out, God, like I need to see you in it. I need, I need you to show up. Um, but at this, this place where, and, and I'm probably going to walk away with more than just a hip out of place, but this, this wrestling with who God is and his truth of scripture and what he says about who I am, who he is, uh, and all of those pieces. But I think something that's really hit home for me in the last few months is that God's identity is greater than 
my own understanding of my identity. Mm. And if I can find myself rooted in God's identity and knowing who God is, then it's going to help me figure out who I am. But if I don't have an understanding of who God is, then my identity is skewed because if I'm created in his image, but I don't fully understand what his image is, then how do I fully understand who I am created Mm. to be then? There's a lot there. (laughs) Again, I feel like last time we tried, I'm like, wow, I'm just soaking it in, just soaking it in. Same here. Um, Wow, there's a lot there. I think what you said about we become what people speak over us, again, is a good reminder that our words have power. I mean, like the word talks about it, right? Our words either can build up and encourage or really tear down. Um, Yeah, there's a lot there. I'm just going to have to re-listen to this. (laughs) You said there for a while. Um, But you touched on it. Why is it so important that we know who we are? Yeah. It is, it is so important um, that we know who we are and really who God is. Um, and again, back to that psychology piece, there are, um, in psychology, there's this term called foot in the door. And basically it's like, if you can get your foot in the door and convince someone to let you have your foot in the door, then you can convince them to do something else, right? And so it's almost like if you can convince someone to do a small thing, you can convince them to do a bigger thing or agree to a small thing. And I think that same thing happened um, reversing that where it's, if I can challenge you in a small thing, I can challenge you in a bigger thing. And if I can get you to doubt a small thing, I can get you to doubt a bigger Mm. thing. And when it comes to God, I think one of the questions that we come, I come to, and I, I think everyone is asking this question in some way or another is like, where is God in suffering? Or how could a good God allow these pieces to happen? And God must not really be good if these pieces are occurring. Um, and, and I think, and I think there's such value in those questions. And, and so when God's identity is in question and we're rooted in God in our identity in Christ, then our identity also becomes qu- in question. And, and I think that's a lot of where this, um, evangelical deconstruction comes from, um, where the sense of people are like, this doesn't make sense to me anymore, or I don't feel comfortable with this, or I don't feel like God's in this. So then I must begin to question everything. And it's Mm. that foot in the door almost where it's like, if we can, if, if the world and the enemy can get us to question a small thing about God, then bigger things become more questionable. Mm. And, and God can handle our questions. I mean, he's, he's totally capable of doing that. And he doesn't, I don't, I don't know where this belief that like we needed to, we needed just like, whenever we talk to God, like honor him and not have any hard questions or not, um, talk about anything difficult. Like we can bring our real feelings to God, but, and that's where that piece, if God's identity is known to us, then our identity is more secure in him. And one of the pieces that I've really been doing lately is, um, at night when I'm feeling anxiety, like I won't feel anxiety in any way compared to the moment that I put my head down on a pillow. Like it's just crazy. It's like, what, why now? Like, couldn't you have bothered me when I could have actually done something about it? You know, at noon when I was eating and you had brought all these things up, anxiety, I would have been able to accomplish, like figured it out. But now it's, 10 p.m. and you're telling me all these things I should be doing and I'm like whoa I'm trying to sleep but Mm. and so what I go through is the alphabet and and I begin to like list off the attributes of God and his who he is right and 
And I kind of have like a set few words at this point, right? Like the first one is aware. A, God is aware of what you're going through. He is a God who's aware. B, God is beside you. He's not far. And that connects with C, God is close. God is beside you and he is close. He's not far off. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't know. D, God is dependable even when you're struggling, right? F, he's their father. And then E, eternal. And that's a piece that's really, um, that truth of God is eternal. I keep coming back to it lately um, because I keep saying to myself, Kimberly, the things that you're upset about right now or the things that you're wrestling with or the things that are hard for you or the things that even about my identity of like, man, God, I, I want to be perfect, right? And, and this, this like, I want to be perfect for you, God. Mm. Um, and God's really shifted that like, no, you want to be perfected by me. You're not being perfect for me, Kimberly. You need to be perfected by me. And I mess up. And when we mess up in that identity piece of I'm a mistake or I'm not good enough or I can't do enough or I don't love Jesus enough or I'm not strong enough in my faith, all of those pieces, when I look at that in the eternity, in the light of eternity, God's like, Kimberly, like stop stressing about that. You know, yeah, maybe you made a mistake or maybe that was something that you aren't the most proud of or, you know, but when it all is said and done, that's not the piece that's going to matter. Like you're going to be with me for all eternity, right? Like a blog post that you had or something someone said, like none of those things matter in the eternal like view of who I've created you to be. Um, And so when, when we're rooted in who God is and we know his identity, then our identity becomes more secure and we're less likely to easily um, be thrown off course when something challenging happens because we already know who God is. Mm. But that's where we really need to figure out what lies are we believing about who God is because that's impacting the lies that we believe, right? And I think one of the common ones is something like, you know, if, if we're a good Christian and we're doing the right things, like we're not going to suffer and we're not going to have pain. Mm-hmm. And that... Like, that's a lie, you know, and um, Jeremiah 29, 11, like that is a verse that so many people love. And it is such a good verse for right now, because in Jeremiah 29, 11, the Israelites were going to some were already and most were going to be taken away from everything they knew and have to serve another you know, another culture, another community, another uh, whole nation, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar was coming, some of them already gone. And that is not like a good thing, right? And for some of them, they wanted to think it was temporary. But Jeremiah is saying to them, like, get married, build houses, plant gardens. Like this isn't going to be temporary, right? Mm. This is going to be long term, Um And so to know that God knew the plans that he had for them, plans for them to prosper, not to harm them, to give them a hope and a future would mean a lot. But it wasn't that's like some of them would have died before that even came to fruition. Right. And so if we hear that and we think, okay, well, God has a plan for me and he has a hope for my future. Like and then something bad happens. We're like, whoa, God, you're supposed to have good for me. Mm. You know, like God works everything together or that really stupid lie. God will never give you more than you can handle. Like, can you tell that to every person who's ever been martyred? (laughs) Mm. Goodness gracious. Can you tell that to people who have lost loved ones, who have, you know, who have gone through 
battles of health things and, and their health was never restored this side of eternity. Like God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, then we wouldn't need Jesus. Like I'd be good on my own. Right. And so if we live in these, if we have lies that we believe that don't actually align with who God is, then we're likely to be easily swayed when things go, come against those lies. And so knowing the truth, like we need to be in scripture and reading scripture and asking questions and wrestling with scripture and wrestling with God. Like if Jacob was allowed to wrestle with God, then I'm allowed to wrestle with God too. Right. Cause all of these things are so important. Yeah. I think it's, it's funny. Cause you, you talked about at the beginning about this idea of like, you know, if your teacher believes these things about you, then you're probably not going to do well. There's these like, you know, other people's opinions and our, you know, biases about ourselves and feelings about ourselves, And it's like, if we listen to the voice that really speaks truth, which is God, like those things, like, I just love seeing psychology and theology just <laughs> marry themselves. And you're like, wow, we see Jesus written all over it. And those truths, um, we want to dig in a little bit more to your wrestling, your little Jacob moment here. Um, and, and talk a little bit more about that, about this tension, you know, between some of the things that are, are said about us in the Bible, things we read in scripture, um, like the tension between being a slave, being an heir. I know that's one thing you mentioned. Um, we see, study this in scripture, but, but what does it actually mean? And maybe just talk about your own wrestling with this. Yeah, it has been a, uh, an interesting season of that, um, and, and a friend the other day said to me, she was like, Kimberly, every good and healthy relationship has these moments of frustration and wrestling through. And it's a sign of a healthy relationship. Mm. Um, and as a therapist, I know that. Like if couples say that everything's perfect in their relationship and, you know, they don't have any weaknesses and all of these things, I'm like, well, then you are living in a fake world. You know, you are, there is a, there are pieces that you're not aware of that you're not willing to look at, right? Um, and you're just pretending that this is how it is. And so in our faith, like if we're not wrestling with God and actually like getting into those conversations, then there's probably, um, there's probably a chance that we fear that we could not even do that. Like maybe we're just don't feel like we could do that. Sometimes it's that we fear if we do begin to wrestle with God, things that we've believed and really founded ourselves on are going to be changed and we just can't deal with that. Um, and so in this season that I've been in, there have been moments where I'm like, um, I'm really, I really got to a place in life where I was an optimist. Everything was like, you know, you're going to laugh about this one day. So just laugh about it now, Kimberly, mm -hmm. you know, this is a tough season, but it's not going to be forever. Um, and in the last year and in, in a bit, um, the season has just continued on. Like, I'm like, okay, it's ready for the next season, ready for the next season. Like I'm ready for God to show up. Um, anyway, there's a song by casting crown. That's like, I thought by now that you would have come down and, you know, but I say, amen. And it's still raining. Um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and, and then it says praise you in this storm. And I'm like, yeah. I'm getting there, but I'm still at the, it's raining. Um, and, and I think there's something I'm, I've been reading through Jeremiah and there's in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 15, uh, Jeremiah 15, 15 through 18. Um, 
you know when you're finding hope in the weeping prophet, that is a season, <laughs> eh? Um, and so, yeah, for those listening, like Jeremiah was called to, to really speak truth in a time when no one wanted to hear it. Um, and truth that nobody wanted to hear. Not like Jesus loves you, you know, you're creating the image of God, you know, he has a plan and a purpose for your life, which is funny because that's where we go. But a, your world, as you know, it is going to be destroyed. There's nothing you can do to change it. Everything you've ever known is going to be taken away from you. Um, you're going to serve a foreign nation and a foreign God, and it's going to be horrible and miserable, and you're going to hate it. And that's the word of the Lord, you know, mm-hmm. I, right. And, and so you can imagine people didn't respond well, like, you know, there's other people that are like, everything's <laughs> going to be fine. God's going to show up. You know, we don't need to worry about these things. And people loved them, but Jeremiah, they didn't love. And, mm-hmm. and in this section here, it says, Oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors in your fair forbearance. Take me not away. Know that for your sake, I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be like, be to me like a deceitful brook? like waters that fail. And I hear this and I'm like, yeah, Mm. in this season of, of trying to be like, okay, God, when are you going to show up and what are you going to do? And how are you going to move in this? And how are you going to reveal yourself? And, and not only am I waiting on it, but I'm like, okay, like these other people around me know that I serve you Lord. And, and when they're watching me go through this, they're probably thinking, wow, why would I want to serve her God? Like mm-hmm. he hasn't done anything. He hasn't shown up. And I'm like, so can you do something like, you know, a little poof here, a little like, you know, bippity boppity boo there would be <laughs> great right now, Jesus, because I tell people that you're true and you're real and you're healer and you're able to overcome things and, and it's day amen. And it's still raining. Right. And, and he, when Jeremiah says, will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail, I think, yeah, like the water of life, you know, like, and yet, and then Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, like, you know, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe something's wrong with me because I'm still thirsting mm. and I'm needing more Jesus. And, and I'm wrestling with that. And, you know, and, and in that season, um, in some of these seasons, again, I'm like, I'm still like, I would say knee deep, but I'm like, you know, neck deep in some of these things. Um, I was so frustrated with those. There's these two stories in the gospel of one of where Peter's, Peter's walking on the water and, and he starts sinking. And Jesus says, like, why did you doubt? Why did you take your eyes off of me? Well, no kidding, Jesus. Like, I know for you, walking on water might not be that overwhelming, but for me, like, you know, again, I think, I think Peter probably had religious FOMO too. (laughs) (laughs) Like he was always like, he just jumped into things without thinking. Um, So, you know, he was like, whoa, if Jesus is on the water, I want to be on the water too. Like, I don't want to miss out. 
And then he's like, whoa, I'm on the water. <laughs> like, <laughs> and there's waves and there's probably like fish in here or things that, you know, like, I'm assuming he knew how to swim. Like, he's a fisherman. I'm sure they knew how to swim. But, but still, like standing on the water, I've never stood here before. This is new territory for me. And so when he begins to sink, like part of me is like, can I rewrite your story, Jesus? Can I have you reach out and go, Simon, you're sinking. That makes sense. You've never walked on water before. Mm. It's overwhelming. It's intimidating. You did well. Let's try again tomorrow. Like, I'm like, that's the kind of response I need. Or when they're on the boat and the waves, and it says that they almost were like toppled. Like, you know, like the boat, it wasn't just like a little windstorm. These are again, fishermen. They know storms, right? And, mm-hmm. and the scripture says that they were almost like swamped and, and the boat was flipping. Whatever, whatever was going on there was not good. And Jesus sleeping, right? Like, and so they wake him up and he says, why do you doubt? Like he stops the winds and the waves. And then he's like, where's your faith? And I'm like, Jesus, couldn't you have said like, Mm. wow, thanks for knowing you could wake me up. Thanks for knowing that I could calm the storms. I could see how this is scary to you. Thanks for coming to me. Mm. And, And so then I'm like, well, God, is it because like in it, they were doubting that you could do anything? Maybe that's it. And so there was a moment where I realized, I was like, God, I haven't really reached out to you in the ways that I want to, because I'm afraid you're going to look at me and say, why did you wake me up? Mm-hmm. Like, don't you trust that I'm doing something? Like, why are you waking me up? And it got to a place where I was like, Jesus, I don't care if you're saying that I have little faith. Like, I need you to wake up because I'm about to drown here. And I'm, I'm not a fisherman, right? So I don't know about this whole wave and water and fish thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but really like having those conversations Um, And that question of like, God, am I a a servant? You know, like um, Jesus says when it's the end of the time, like he'll say to some people, well done, good and faithful servant. And I've always longed to hear those words. Am I a servant or am I an heir? And and the way we treat our servants is different than the way we treat our heirs. And in the Bible, it says you're no longer slaves, but heirs. Um, And the other week I read this this quote um, by Rich Valudez who is probably one of my favorite um, pastors. Don't tell my husband. That's not what I mean. But like, I just love his perspective on things. Mm. Um, And he said he was preaching at a funeral. And he says he never gets tired of using the powerful imagery from the theologian Kusaki Kuyama. And Kuyama imagined Jesus saying this to those he sees upon uh, death. So Jesus says, you had a difficult journey. You must be tired and dirty. Let me wash your feet. The banquet is ready. And when I read that, I was like, no, 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 no. Like Jesus is not going to wash my feet when I get to the gates of heaven. You got to be kidding me. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's not what the disciples said when Jesus washed their feet. Like not me. And so this question of like, yeah, for my identity, do I identify more as a servant of Jesus who is just, um, you know, like, what's that word? Disposable, not disposable, like dispensable. Like Mm. Kimberly, if you don't do it for me, if you're not willing to serve me in that way that I want to be done, then I'll just find someone else who is, or am I a child of God who my identity and my value is so deeply secure because I'm his, I'm his daughter. And you don't just 
get a new daughter. Like you can't just get a new one. Right. And, Mm. and so these questions as I wrestle with like, who am I in God and how do I identify? And it's not how God views me. It's how I believe God views me. Right. Mm. And so if I believe, right, again, that confirmation bias and that, uh, and that behavioral confirmation, if I believe that God just thinks of me as dispensable and that I'm easily thrown out, if I'm not fulfilling what he needs as my master, um, then I'm going to overwork myself because Mm. I need, again, I need to be perfect for Jesus. I need to be perfect for Jesus versus if God views me as his daughter, who he is on a journey with, who he's molding and shaping into his image and he's gracious and he's kind and he's compassionate. I get to be perfected by Jesus. And it doesn't change that I need to, you know, keep loving and following Jesus, but it changes what my heart is behind it or even the anxiety behind it mm-hmm. of I need to be who God wants me to be so he doesn't get rid of me versus I want to be who God has created me to be because I want to live in that fullness of who Jesus has mm-hmm. designed me to be because that's rich life, mm-hmm. right? And, and so just these little shifts of am I being perfect for Jesus or am I being perfected by Jesus? Do I believe that Jesus just views me as dispensable you can get rid of me or do I believe that God views me as his daughter who he could never ever get rid of because he loves me and he has a plan for me and he's created me and I'm in his image um yeah and so these are the pieces that I again I don't have solutions Mm. um but I have lots of wrestling um you know and and lots of things that I'm bringing to Jesus and I'm like okay I, I need I need to figure this out with you, Jesus, because yeah, I want to be okay to wake you up on the boat. And I want to know that you're not going to be disappointed in me, you know, to think, oh, Jesus is going to be disappointed in me. Where does that come from? Again, that going back to what is true of who God is and what isn't true of who God is. And where does that belief that God could be disappointed in me come from? Where is that rooted? Who spoke that? Was that God or was that someone else? And um, yeah, when I work with clients and they have a narrative, something like that, you know, of, well, I just disappoint people. I often say to them, is that something you came up with or is that something someone told you? And some of these things I'm coming to God, and I'm like, is that something you spoke God or is that something someone else told me? And I've just put it on you, which isn't fair to myself or to you, God, because you're probably saying, Kimberly, that's not me. That's not me. And And I don't want you to have to live under that because that's not how I want you to, that's not the freedom that I give. Um, Yeah. And so those are some of those things that I'm like wrestling through and yeah, which is why I say I might have more than just a hip out of place at the end. Mm. (laughs) You'll see me walking with a limp and be like, oh, there she is. The one who wrestled with Jesus. Mm. I really appreciate, yeah, your transparency and all that because I think for, me it's a lot easier to be when those doubts or questions do come oh we'll just push that aside because it's a little too messy and you know I can't question God's character because you know you think Exodus 34 I think it is when um he reveals his character to Moses for the first time it's like yep that's who he is cool let's keep going Mm -hmm. we are very complex (laughs) and it's not uh yeah, it's a lot easier to push those things aside versus wrestling with them. But that wrestling is really where that deep work and refinement happens. So thank you so much because it's challenging for me. Um, and I know challenging for a lot of other people to actually 
yeah, the wrestling is normal and the wrestling is okay. Um, and we don't need to push it to the side because then, yeah, like that doesn't do anything. That probably makes it worse, I would think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, talk about the role of community because we see in scripture, the body of Christ, unity, the importance of community. What role does community play in forming us and how have you walked through this? Somewhere along the way, Western evangelicalism became like enmeshed with Western values on independence. Mm, mm -hmm. And, and it's not good. Um, you know, I think of that song, like I did it my way, right? Like, so that was such a, an important song because it was like, yeah, um, and, and for the American dream, it's like, I'm going to come and I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to figure it out and I'm on my own and I value independence. And that is so not the gospel. Mm. Um, again, Rich Villadez in one of his, his tweets, he like, he tweets, you know, like <laughs> tweeting theologians is like the new thing. Back in the day, they wrote books. Now they tweet. Um, he said, when we say the Lord's prayer, we don't start with my father. We start with our father. Mm. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Yeah. Not to my God, but to our God. Um, and, and recently I did this, um, I did some training recently on, on historical trauma in, in first nations, um, and, and caring well for first nations who have experienced her historical trauma, and the piece that was so, that just kept sticking out to me was the beauty of community. And they talked about trauma in, in Native communities being healed through community. Um, and one of the things that they had mentioned is that when they used to go to war, before they would go to war, they would always have um, a tribal dance where they would get together and they would sing songs and, and dance together, and then they would go to the war. And then when they came back, they would have another dance, and they would sing songs that told stories of what happened in the war, of, of loss, of trauma, of tragedy. And they would sing through that, and they would dance through that. And then as a community, they would collectively have these songs. And, and I thought, isn't that what Miriam's song is? As they mm. came across the Red Sea, Miriam led this the, tr the nation of Israel in singing and dancing as they told the story of who God is. And, and there's a lot in like, the brain and trauma and processing and, and all of those pieces of these bilateral movements and somatic things. And it, it goes deep. I mean, I won't get into neuroscience in this, but in <laughs> neuropsychology, but there's, there's actually ways that our brain heals and processes trauma through that. And in becoming independent and this is my faith and it's personal and it's private. We've actually prevented our bodies and our brains from healing in the ways that they need to. And when we yeah. have collective trauma, um, and I mean, the world is like full of collective trauma right now, right? We're all experiencing these traumas that we're trying to process on our own. And I think, what would it be like if we went to church and, and we wrote songs about our own experiences of what God has, of what we're wrestling through? And what God has done, and we sang them together, and we worshiped together, and we had like a Miriam song moment after we crossed through the Red Sea. I mean, can you imagine the trauma? Like Pharaoh's army was coming at you. 
there was a the Red Sea was in front of you. No one had known that Jesus or that God was going to part the Red Sea, mm. right? So there, like they would have been anxious, overwhelmed, petrified. Like the fear response would have been huge. And yes, the Red Sea would have opened, and now you're walking across a giant Red Sea, and. I don't know. Could you see, like, could the fish come up to the edge of it and bump their head? I don't know. We don't know what it looks like, (laughs) but you're still running away from Pharaoh's army. You just left everything like trauma, trauma, trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet this restorative healing piece of being in community, your story being told and, and this, we're in this together, but Western evangelicalism is not that way. Mm. We are like, I got this. God and I got it. Maybe maybe we invite God into it, but sometimes I think we try to figure it out on our own. And when everything we try to do fails, which is some t- often where I find myself, I'm like, all right, God, I tried to figure it out. And God's like, wouldn't it have been easier if we did it together from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and there's so much within me that's like, when I'm struggling, it's like, don't share, don't tell, don't open up about that because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to go through this. You're supposed to figure it out. Um and and that's not what the faith community is supposed to be. We're supposed mm-hmm. to be a place where we're wrestling through the uncomfortable the challenges, the difficulties together, and we're celebrating and we're worshiping and we're praising God in the triumphs together. Mm. Um, because, yeah, it isn't my father who's in heaven. It's our father. Um, and we are a body and, and we're so disconnected mm-hmm. um, because the Western idea of, of independence and individuality has wrecked what is supposed to be community. Mm-hmm. And the ways that we heal from the traumas we experience, whether it's a collective trauma as a church, as a community, um, has been has been really has been weakened because of that, because we're trying to do it on our own. And that's never what was intended. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I just think community and the role of community and the way that we heal in community and the restorative piece of community um, is so, so important. And, and we're missing out on that. Yeah, I think I'm thinking about that a lot lately. And even just, you know, thinking about how the gospel isn't like, I, I don't remember who it was actually. It's I've also been really into Twitter theology lately. <laughs> Jen's so sick of hearing me talk about it. Um, but yeah, someone was um, talking about how something along the lines of how, you know, salvation for a community, not just for the individual and how when one person is transformed, so can be their household, so can be their family, so can mm. be their community. And we don't really even think about it that way about how like the gospel transformation transforms a greater picture than just like, yay, like now you can be awesome. Like it it is so much deeper than that. And I think it's such a a beautiful picture. And it's funny because we talk about this importance of identity and yet identity and community are also so important. And who do you identify with and what group and Mm. understanding even who you are based off of your community and how they love you and treat you and learn and all those things. It's like you said, we could go miles deeper and deeper (laughs) into it all. Um, But one last thing that we'd love for you to touch on is kind of like what's at stake, like what happens when we don't live in our identity or maybe even, you know, we live in this false identity and we don't 
aren't able to to live in that or view that or have some sort of warped identity what what happens i mean there's a lot of things that could happen um throughout the gospels a lot of what jesus did was restored people back to community which gave them a new identity um because their identity was that I don't belong or I'm not good enough. I mean, that's, that's what Jesus, I think of um, the Samaritans as a whole, but the Samaritan woman, he knew everything about her and yet still came to her as one of the first people that he actually said, I'm the Messiah too. Mm-hmm. Cause she said, you know, when, when the Messiah comes and he's like, that's who you're speaking to. Um, and, and again, she didn't take it for herself. She brought it back to her community. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Samaritans who had been so isolated from the Isra- Israelite community were then brought back in. Um, you know, people who had leprosy uh, weren't allowed to be a part of a community. And Jesus healed them and restored them back into mm-hmm. community, a place where they belonged and they had purpose and they had value and they had significance. Um. And, and so many of these pieces is really Jesus was restoring the truth of who God had created people to be. And, and when we live in this broken sense of identity, when we live in these confirmation biases where we're trapped in believing that we have to be how we've been because we've always been that way or we, we live out what people believe of us to be, um, we really, we, we, I mean, we miss out on the fullness of who God's created us to be and the Mm -hmm. fullness of life and what it, you know, if I'm, if I feel like I'm, if I'm living out that I'm a servant and I could be easily thrown to the side, you know, you know, God's the potter, I'm the clay if he wants to just smash me and throw me out, like who cares? Like I'm just a servant to God. Um, I live in fear. I live in, and I live, I'm petrified. Like what if I make a mistake? What if I do something wrong? Then, then I'm just going to be a puddle, pot, like a piece of clay that God throws to the side. And now I'm just broken shards and who cares? Because God gets to do whatever he wants because he's God. And so if he wants to use me in that way, then, then for sure. Um, Right, and, and that's almost this confirmation bias where we, we zone in on one scripture of of how God says responds in a situation. But yet in that, even in that analogy, God's saying that to the Israelites, but then as he as you get to the end of Jeremiah, God says that he's gonna restore them and that he's gonna write a new covenant and it's gonna be one that's written on their hearts. Right. Like, I mean, like God gives us a big image of what it looks like when Jesus comes. And, mm-hmm. and yet when we zone in on these little, th- on these not little things, like these huge things, then we live either in fear or with doubt or with hesitation or, you know, or we just continually live out the narrative that we think that people want or of us or expecting of us. And maybe we don't pursue our dreams. Maybe we have goals and hopes and dreams and we, but we, we never felt like people believed in us. And so we're not worth believing in. And so why would I pursue that? And why would I do that? You know, or, or maybe there's a, a, 
someone along the way said that, you know, pride is not of God. And and yeah, like the Bible talks about pride and how pride goes before the fall, but, but we've worked it in such a way where we're actually ashamed of our gifts mm. and we won't use our gifts to the full extent because maybe that's pride. And I don't want to be proud of my gift because, because I don't want to be proud. And so I'm going to actually have this false sense of humility, which is limiting what I'm going to do for God and his kingdom, because that feels more safe to me than living out my full gifting, mm. because I don't want to look proud, prideful. Um, and, and all of these pieces, and it's going to look different for everyone. And these are just things that I wrestle through of like, what does it look like in my life? And how do these, these lies that the enemy has really rooted secretly that seem connected to scripture? Right. But I mean, Satan tempted Jesus and used scripture every single time. Right. Mm. And so we, if we're living in this, with this false sense of who God is, um, it's going to mess with us, mm-hmm. whether it's going to become a space for anxiety to thrive, whether it's going to be fear. And then we're going to be in church and singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And yet we're so afraid. And then we feel terrible because we're afraid. And God said, don't be afraid. And Mm. now I'm afraid. And so therefore I'm messing up and I'm a mistake, right? That not just, I made a mistake, but I am a mistake when our, our actions become our identity versus a part of what we've done Mm. in the learning journey. Mm. All of those pieces are really, um, just, yeah, we miss out on what God wants to do. Um, and then I think it sets us up for this, um, potential for people to speak into one area and that foot in the door where they challenge one thing. And when that shatters, everything shatters with it. And yeah, you know, and, and, and Jeff Bethke, is that how you pronounce his last name? That's mm-hmm. how I pronounce his last name. He's a YouTube theologian. He's not. He might be a Twitter yes. theologian too, but he's oh. a YouTube, right? He yeah, has yeah. like a YouTube channel. He said in a, a talk on discipleship once, he said, we need two things. We need to intimately know Jesus and be following Jesus and living like Jesus. And the the point was that if we are living like Jesus, but we don't intimately know him, then we're beginning to live like who we think Jesus is. Mm. We're living out how we think Jesus would live, um, which has done horrible damage. Christians have lived out how they believe Jesus would live, and they have done terrible things in the name of Jesus. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm at this space, I'm at this place in time where I don't know if I ever want to say, God is saying this to me, or, well, God told me this because I'm so afraid of using the name of the God in vain, where mm-hmm. it's like, I think I know what God is saying. And I'm going to tell you, because once I tell you that, well, I feel like God's saying this to me, Jen, to tell you, well, then it becomes a lot harder to wrestle mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, um, yeah. And, and I think people have spoken over me, have spoken over other people. This is what God has said. And so we don't wrestle with that. Um, and so if we're not intimately knowing Jesus, if we're not in the word of God, if we're not listening for his voice, not that God doesn't speak, but I'm not going to back up my beliefs. I'm not going to back up my thoughts or my opinions by saying, well, God said this to me because 
um, personally, I feel like God had said, you know what, Kimberly, that's actually like using my name in vain because you're using it to push forward your agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, And so again, those are things that I've wrestled with, not to say that other people can't do that, um, but that's an area where God's checked in my heart. And so if we're not intimately knowing God, pursuing him, then when we walk out who we believe God to be, it's distorted because it's our own our own belief. And if we're not, and if we just know God and we like are intimately in his word and living and like pursuing him in that word, but we're not living like him mm. and that's not transforming us. then we're like the person who looks in the mirror that forgets. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of these pieces are connected to our identity of, you know, we really want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, I really want to be, I have religious FOMO. I really want to follow <laughs> God. Um, but yet at the same time, I need to realize that sometimes I don't have it right. And just because I believe something about myself to be true doesn't mean that it is true. And that confirmation bias and, and that questioning of why do I believe this and why am I feeling this way and why am I all of those pieces. And if we don't have space, if we're not secure enough in God to say, I can wrestle with this and God's still going to love me, then we're not going to wrestle with those things. And we're going to pretend like we've got it all together and we're going to live in this fantasy world where the moment someone creates a crack in our fantasy world, it's all going to shatter because Mm. it was all based on just a fantasy of what we wanted to believe to be true. And and that's where that piece of if we're not wrestling with, am I a servant or am I an heir? And what does that mean? And what's the difference? And, And all of these pieces then... We're really, there's going to be a moment where things are going to, the ground's going to shake. There's going to be an earthquake. There's always earthquakes, right? Mm. And and I don't know if what we've built our foundation on will, will hold because it, it hasn't been built on the truth of Christ. It's been built on what we want to believe to be true about ourselves or about who God is or, or what other people have said. And unless it's like... Yeah, I'm, I think of that wise builder story, right? Where the difference between the one who built their house on the sand and the one who built it on the rock, the, what, when you look at that scripture, what's the difference? Well, the difference is one did what God's, like what was said and followed through and the other one heard but didn't do anything about it, right? It's not that one was just unaware of what, you know, like they both went to engineering schools, basically what it <laughs> said, but one paid attention in class and the other one didn't. Um, yeah, and just being aware, like, if we're building it on Christ, we need to be in God's word and we need to be wrestling with it and in relationship with others in community where people will challenge us. And, and I say to people, if you look around and your community all agrees with everything you believe in and there's no challenge, find a new community. Mm. Um, because then it becomes this cozy, comfy, I don't need to do anything. I'm right. They're wrong. And there's enough of that on online, you know, like we become, we live in this echo chamber where if I don't like what you believe and you don't like what I believe, then I'm just not going to listen to you and I'm going to unfollow you. And I'm going to, you know, instead of maybe I can learn something from you. Can you share more about your experience and help me understand? Cause I don't have all the answers. Mm. I'm following Jesus and stumbling along. So want to stumble with me? Mm-hmm. And we miss out on that if, if we're not willing to go there. Thank you so much, Kim. <laughs> That's the last question, that official question that we have. But um, I'll give you the final word. <laughs> I think I just go back to figuring out if 
who we believe God to be is based on who God is. If we've gotten his identity right, or if we've created a, who we believe we want God to be, or who we need God to be, or we, if we could be God, like what we would be. Mm. Because if our identity is based in a God that we've designed... then it's going to fail because it's not the truth of who God is, which I don't love. Like I would, I do really want God to be who I want God to be. I want God to want what I want God to want. Um, but yet if you said, do you want to be God? I mean, no, nobody would want that. But at the same time, we can also know that we can wrestle with these things and say, God, this piece of your scripture, I don't love. I'm reading through the Bible and I don't like this. <laughs> Help me because I'm really frustrated. And, and, and again, with Jeremiah, like at the end of Jeremiah 15, God says that he, he's got him. Mm. I've got you, Jeremiah. I'll take care of you. Historical tradition says that Jeremiah was stoned. Mm. And it's like, whoa, 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 God, if that's what it means to have me and have like, no, no, no. I want a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego God that shows up in the fire, not a Jeremiah God who's kidnapped, taken away, thrown in jail, and then stoned by people. Like, I don't want that God. I want the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're going to show up in my fire, God. But again, if we're not willing to wrestle with those things and say both exist in the Bible, Mm. both are part of God and his nature, um, our identity, if our identity is rooted in a false sense of who God is or skewed, it, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say if our identity is rooted in the truth of who God is, that it's going to be easy. It's, it's not. Nothing is going to be easy. I'm, I'm learning that. I don't love that, <laughs> uh, but I'm learning that. Kind of like a Canadian God who says sorry all the time. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, but these pieces are just, and I don't know who said it. Somebody said it. Someone way wiser than me said, if we read the scriptures and things don't frustrate us or anger us, or we don't wrestle with it and we just think, yeah, 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 I love all of it, then we're not really reading the scripture. Mm. Um, But I also caution us to never really believe that we figured out exactly who God is. Because if you could figure out, if I could figure out who God is, and he's not very impressive, uh, <laughs> right? Like he's more, yeah. And so really in, in finding that community where you can worship God together, you can wrestle through these pieces and people will challenge you. Um, mm. But knowing that we are children of God um, and I can feel secure in that even as I wrestle through everything else. So it doesn't really give any answers, uh, but I hope it gives questions and space to begin to say, God, these are areas of your life in my life that I need to open up to you and open up to other people. Um, these are parts of who I believe myself to be. And I've been living that out in this confirmation bias. And I'm wondering actually, if it's not even true, these are things that I believe about you. And it's almost this behavioral 
confirmation of, I think you're going to do this. And so I look for you to do those things, or I, I think you're going to let me down. So I look for you to let me down, or I think you're going to show up. So you do show up. Um, but it's, it's actually my own thoughts and it's not yours. And, and that brings us to a space where we're fully, totally dependent on Jesus. Mm. And that's an okay place to be. It's probably the best place to be, even though it's really uncomfortable and it's really not the place that I, dependency is not, it's not a celebrated thing in Western culture. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bringing it back to our father and our dependency on him. Hmm. Wow. I love that. And I, I think it would be easier if we could come on a podcast and be like, this is how you do this. And by <laughs> next week, you'll have it figured out. Mm. Uh, but wrestling takes time and can be painful. But I think for me, even I think about the last year, like something that I've really learned is like God actually is okay with us to wrestle. He invites us to wrestle because I used to feel guilty about those things. And, you know, even wrestling with my own feelings. Like, why does this bother me so much? Like, I, you know, can't just be like, woohoo, this is great. Yay, yay, yay. As much as our friend Bart would like to call me an optimist, I uh -huh. don't always feel that way. Um, but, yeah, those are some good words. And I think will be, um, yeah, just super powerful. So thank you for your honesty and your thoughts and your wrestling that can help us to wrestle a little more ourselves too and um just for for all the good work you're doing and we love your religious FOMO and all the all the good things so thank you so much for being with us today you're welcome and thank you for having me we can be optimistic about wrestling we yes. will wrestle exactly <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using so you don't ever miss a Monday episode. And if you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Just Work Friends. And if you're enjoying, feel free to give us a review on whichever podcast platform you're on. And we hope you have a great day. Bye. See you, everybody. Happy Monday.